Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. Today we spoke with Ben Behunin, and we think when you hear him, you'll immediately feel what we felt. This is a guy who is absolutely full of pure good energy, who has been able to fully align his own gifts to serve the world. Ben is a full-time artist, potter, and writer who makes his living through creativity. He's also a stake president in downtown Salt Lake City. In our conversation with Ben, he talked about his mission experience and conversion to the church. His story is incredibly moving, and it illustrates in a powerful way that God seems to be working through good people in every tradition and culture. Ben also shared a lot about how his creativity plays into his role as a leader in the church, and it was inspiring to hear how innovative he is in his stewardship and work to serve and bless others. Ben also shared what he believes are gifts that the Latter-day Saints in particular have to share with the world. All in all, this is a special one, and we're excited to introduce you to Ben. You can find out more about his pottery, writing, and other work at potterboy.com. Thanks as always for listening. And with that, we'll jump right in. All right. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. We've wanted to have you here for a long time. So thank welcome. You. And I have actually Appreciate had several, several unrelated recommendations oh, to bring wow. you on. Okay. Even though you were already on our list. So okay. well, thank you. <laughs> um, thank you. We'd love to just start at the beginning and, and maybe you could tell us about your conversion to the gospel or maybe some early formative experiences that come to mind when you think about your relationship to the gospel. Sure. So uh, I grew up in Salt Lake, mostly, well, Utah, mostly. I was born in Provo when my parents were going to school, um, lived in Bountiful, lived in Ohio, lived in Florida for a little bit, um, but mostly Salt Lake. And um, I'm the oldest of seven children. And my my father was an entrepreneur, but it was mostly just manure. <laughs> We, we didn't have, there were, there were some hard times and a lot of, uh, a lot of difficult things. And so I, um, I think my, my earliest memories of testimony and faith, uh, actually came from growing up and just knowing that I needed to have a relationship with God because there was not any security in our home growing up. And, uh, and so you know, learning how to work when I was a young man, uh, at age 10, I started a little lawn mowing business and grew that until I left on my mission. And Can I ask you what the name of your lawn mowing business was? You know, uh, it, it went through several iterations. Okay. <laughs> yeah. My, my brother, uh, when I left for my mission, he called it BT lawn mowing. So, okay. Which stood for brown truck. Oh, nice! <laughs> I didn't have it. I never had the brown truck, but yeah. I had a I had a lawn mowing business. It was okay. called TNT lawn mowing. So, yeah. pretty, that that pretty similar. Dynamite, right? Yeah, yeah. A, I, just, I had to ask. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, when I was uh, just getting ready for between my junior and senior year, I'd been called to be a seminary president at Highland High School in Salt Lake, and um, thought, you know, if I'm going to be professing anything of testimony, I better have one uh, of the Book of Mormon specifically. And so I uh, kind of took that summer and spent every night before I went to bed, spent time praying and reading. And, you know, usually sometimes it was late. So, you know, a chapter or two, but yeah, tried to kind of get a lot of it down. And I don't recall there being a time where, you know, the heavens opened, uh, but I do remember just feeling a general sense of peace that what this was was right. And then, you know, the the mission experience really kind of brought it all home for me. Again, not having, feeling like there was any security, financial, spiritual security at home. Um, I, I knew I needed a relationship with God. And so that was always, for me, that was always a place where, I knew I could go to, to have some continuity and some, some stability. So, but that desire for a divine relationship, it sounds like was sort of intrinsic, not necessarily pushed on you by, by your parents or anybody yeah, else. I think it was encouraged, um, you know, but there was a lot of strife at home. And so, 
you know, there are lots of nights where, you know, you cry yourself to sleep as your parents are arguing in the other room and, and, uh, and, and not really, you know, knowing which ways up that a lot of, you know, I, I guess I, I grew up, uh, with a lot of unrighteous dominion and, um, and so I, I never wanted that for my family. I never, you know, I, one of the greatest blessings that my parents gave me be it besides the ability or the drive to, to go to work and, you know, figure this out, um, was they, they said, we, we hope that you will have a better life and a better marriage than we had. And, um, uh, and so that, you know, was open, opened up permission for questions and, and what does this look like? Um, and I was a journal keeper from early on and, uh, you know, I go back and look at those I'm never going to do this and I'm never going to do that. And I, you know, I think I've pretty, held pretty true to those early feelings um, of things that I wanted in my family and those things that I didn't. Wow. So talk about your decision to go on a mission. Was this an expectation yeah. or something? Uh, it probably was an expectation, but from the very beginning, it was like, it was, I want one, I, want, I can't wait to get out of the house, but uh, <laughs> two, two um, I really had a desire to serve. I, I, my dad served a, a mission in Austria. And, um, so I, you know, he kind of pushed me into taking German classes, all of our siblings, all of my siblings and I took, took German. And, um, uh, yeah, I went to, went to a school at Rick's college for a semester before my mission. And then afterwards, uh, well, that, that first semester received my mission call to serve in the Switzerland Zurich mission. Um, and, uh, and I, yeah, I was super stoked about that, ha being able to use my German. I think I passed up everything that I knew as far as German goes. <laughs> I had taken even AP German mm -hmm. my senior year in high school. And I think I passed up everything I knew in like the third or fourth day of the MTC. <laughs> yeah, <sounds> right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, really had a, an awesome experience. Started my mission in Austria, uh, in Bregenz and then, uh, moved on to, uh, opened a little area in Germany and uh, a town called Tingen. Uh, one particular Monday morning, we were out on the streets of Tingen. This is a beautiful 300-year-old uh, town with cobblestone streets. And the shops were on the main floor. And then up above were the apartments and really beautiful Sounds place. Amazing. Yeah, kind of kind of a heaven, heavenly place. Um, right on the edge of the Rhine River. And then Switzerland's just on the other side of the Rhine and the Black Forest basically comes right up oh to the edge goodness. of town. So really a charming place. And um, I, we, we had discovered that we were much more effective talking to people one by one rather than two at a time. Everybody thought that we were FBI or CIA <laughs> in our suits and ties. <laughs> yeah. And so I uh, told Elder Trees to go down the street a little bit and talk to people in a small little area. And I talked to people on the top of the street that day. And after being out for just a couple of minutes, I had a really strong impression that I needed to go down an alleyway and onto a parallel street. And I kind of wrestled with the spirit for a while because I'm like, nobody's on that street. I, that's kind of where all of the, there were homes, but there weren't, um, there weren't shops. And so there weren't, there wasn't a lot of foot traffic. And I'd been on that street many times before and had never really had, you know, any interactions with anybody there. So I, you know, was wrestling with the spirit as I was working through this and the spirit said, go, go, go. And so finally, I, I walked down the main street through this little passageway, a little alleyway. And then as I rounded the corner onto this parallel street, this man came out of a garage carrying a big crate of produce from the grocery store around the corner. And I thought, this is the guy I'm supposed to talk to. And I was really excited and um, told him that I had a message about Jesus Christ. And he said, you know what? Go back to America. I, I, I have no interest in anything you have to say. So I was feeling really pretty dumb and uh, turned around and started walking back the way I'd come. And I felt like there was an invisible hand that pushed me up against some shop windows. The glass was, you know, the, the lights were off inside. There was no reason for me to be drawn towards it. But uh, I kind of cleared off the glass and looked inside and it was a pottery shop. And I'd been in this town um, for, you know, three and a half months and had never seen it. So I'd taken high school pottery uh, all four years. I'd taken it, uh, you know, at 
um, taken a, a class at, at BYU Idaho at Rick's College and mm-hmm. um, loved it. And uh, my patriarchal blessing said that I would have a career in art and that I would have experiences on my mission that would be influential in my career. So I'm like, well, you know, this is pretty cool, you know. And so but there was a sign on the door that said closed Sunday and Monday, but open Tuesday through Saturday. So um, we we went back the next day, not having anybody to teach in the morning. That was our first stop. And um, we Elder Teresa and I walked in and I introduced myself as a potter. And as a missionary and told her I was interested, this woman uh, by the name of Irene, I told her that I was interested in getting my hands back in the clay. And she said, that's great. Come anytime you'd like. And so the next day was our preparation day on Wednesday. And so we made arrangements to come back and to play in the clay. And we went back out street contacting and split up again. And this time my companion, Elder Treese, felt like he needed to return and drop off a Book of Mormon. So he ran back to the shop and she was busy with a customer um, when he, he came in. So he just laid the Book of Mormon on the counter and said, we'll talk to you about this in the morning. And so the next day when we got there, um, she it was, it was a little bit chilly at first. She wasn't really sure how to take us, um, but we, you know, broke the ice and got, got into the clay and was, were, were playing around. And uh, she began asking asking us a lot of questions and telling us a little bit about her story. She'd just gone through a really awful divorce. Her husband had been unfaithful to her multiple times. And they had a daughter that um, I think she was about 21 or 22 at the time and was working in a neighboring town as a, as a potter's apprentice. And um, so mother responsibilities were had diminished greatly and she was tired of her husband fooling around. And so she divorced him and at, I think she was probably about 45 at the time, 45, 48, somewhere in there. Um, she decided she really needed to figure out who she was and where her life goes on from here. And as all good Germans do, she went on vacation for about (laughs) two months (laughs) and she ran away and went to Africa and, um, just, Shortly before she was to return home, a man who was a friend of hers invited her to dinner and brought with him or invited also uh, a couple of men who were Sikhs and they were nomadic Sikhs and they were often um, in the desert with with their animals and away from their families for long periods of time. And she asked them how they communicated with each other over these distances. And they said, well, we communicate through dreams and through telepathy. And she just rolled her eyes and said, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. She kind of, I think she kind of mocked them. And they stopped her and said, tonight you are going to have a dream and you'll know that it came from us. And again, she just went away laughing. And But that night she had a very vivid dream, leaving her with the absolute impression that she needed to buy a Bible She'd grown up Catholic in this town of Tingen, but had never owned a Bible before, never been to church. She'd never owned a Bible. She'd never raised her family with any kind of prayer or any spirituality at all. Um, She loved the outdoors and found her, she was spiritual in some ways, um, but, uh, but very foreign to any kind of organized religion. And so she went back to these men, these Sikhs the next day and said, you're probably Bible salesmen. Where do I get a Bible? And they said, we're not Bible salesmen. We're not even Christian. We couldn't tell you where to buy a Bible, but you don't need to worry about that because when you return home, two men will bring you a book that will bring you great happiness and will change your life. And we showed up uh, two weeks uh, after she returned home. So oh my gosh, these men were very grateful for these yeah. Sikhs <laughs> because they spoke by the power of the Holy Ghost and yeah. prepared yeah the way for us to teach her. And um, we had some great experiences, uh, mushroom hunting in the black forest. And she had a horse on the outskirts of town and was, uh, we, I spent a lot of time, we spent a lot of time uh, teaching her in the, in her pottery studio. We'd visit her every day. And after about six weeks, I was transferred. I had been in this town uh, by this time, five months. And uh, 
but I felt like this was the first time in my whole life that I was at the right place at the right time. Pottery missionaries are really hard to come by. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I was the only one in the mission that yeah. had any of that experience and, and would have you know fit in well there. And I felt compelled to continue to communicate with Irene as we as she continued to receive the discussions. And I was transferred first to Winterthur for a couple months and then on to Interlaken up in the, in the Swiss Alps. And um, again, we were writing back and forth every couple of weeks. And just before she, um, just before Christmas, uh, she gave me a call and said, uh, Elder Behanen, will you come back to Zurich and baptize me on the 26th of December of 93? And, and I was able to baptize her and then, just, I think it was actually at the same the same day she was called to be the Relief Society president oh my of her small branch. There were about uh, eighteen active members, but uh, she had never owned a dress in her adult life. She rode horses <laughs> and she made pottery. So you know, what does she need with a dress or a skirt? So she probably for the first uh, six or seven, maybe ten years of her membership uh she got up every sunday and ironed her white jeans to wear to church and uh just a really solid testimony um from the very very beginning um recognizing that god had caught her you know from free falling and uh and, and set her on a different course um just before i returned home um from from that uh mission uh irene and i had written Every week or so, um, I got a I got a book in the mail from Irene. She had been over to um, England on a bicycle tour, visiting all of the potters in the English countryside. She was actually wow. the only person on that tour, but I bet. But, yeah. <laughs> but she picked up this this book about this famous potter Bernard Leach and sent it to me for Christmas. And as I was flipping through the book, I started pulling out hundred mark bills, and she had sent me fifteen hundred Deutsche marks. And at the end of the book, there was a note that said, here's your ticket to come back and work for me after your mission. Oh, wow. oh my gosh. And so uh, I got home on January 13th of 95. School had started, you know, a week before. All of my buddies were still on their missions. All of my girlfriends were either in school or married or getting ready for their <laughs> own missions. And I was kind of a lone man. And I thought, you know, this window of opportunity to go back is really small. I'll go back have a great time. I originally planned for two months and ended up staying for about four months and just mm. had a awesome experience. But wow. had, you know, by the time I finished with Irene, uh, I, uh, that those four months, I knew that I wanted to be a potter uh, for sure when I grew up. And I had experienced, you know, all of that as far as what it is day to day, what that, what that looks like is firing kilns, glazing, turning pots and, mm. um, and and having people come in and you know making their their full sets of dishes potters have a totally different relationship to the village and the people there's there are village potters or at least there were you know 30 years ago mm -hmm. and um and so it was it was just awesome just a really powerful experience i was accepted to byu hawaii while i was over there and so i needed to come home and get ready for that and meet my wife yeah. and all of that. So Wow. So, uh, and we want to get into your, your journey into becoming a, uh, an artist, yeah. but I'm curious about that, that experience that you shared. Sure. Um, you've had almost three decades now, it sounds like to process this. What is it, what does it say about, about God to you that apparently, you know, God was working through the Book of Mormon and pottery and mm. these Sikh men and dreams. Yeah. Um, a little bit different, you know, bringing in more elements than you might expect in a typical conversion story. Yeah, for sure. I I think, uh, I mean, I did recognize right away when Irene talked about these these Sikhs, I did recognize right away that these men had the, the mm -hmm. spirit with them. And, um, you know, there's, there's no magic about it. You know, God loves all of his children and, you know, is not going to abandon any of them. You know, sometimes I think members of the church have this idea that we we hold it all. We have all the secrets and no, that's just not the case. You know, you don't have to go very far or look very far to recognize that they're, uh, you know, God loves all of his children. 
Well, I'd love to hear more about pottery specifically. It feels like yeah. you were meant to do this. It seems like there are things yeah. coming together in your life to kind of nudge you in this direction. You were you mentioned feeling sort of this call or a yeah. passion sort of igniting even as a as a teenager. So can you talk about that and how how did you decide to do this full time? Because yeah, this doesn't seem like a <laughs> that that's not a common profession you hear every day. No, no, for sure not. Yeah, there's not a lot of not a lot of potters left in the world, and and probably far fewer that are LDS. Um, I. I've always been an artist, um, and I think most of us start out believing that we're artists, and then we get it beat out of us, or mm. or told that our, you know, usually between the ages of, well, let's say second grade and sixth grade, um, people start feeling like, okay, I'm I'm not as naturally prone to this mm -hmm. as I, but as I, I occasionally speak at grade schools and. You know, they'll fill up the auditorium or the, the lunchroom usually with the kids and the kindergartners are up front and the you know, sixth graders at the back. And I ask, who's who's an artist? And every single kindergartner raises their hand <laughs> and they they all believe that they are artists. And, yeah. you know, about halfway through the cafeteria, you know, you see a hand a handful. And by the That's time so the sixth and seventh graders, they just don't believe that they're good enough anymore. And, and they've, um, but the reality is, is that, and I, I'm sorry to take a tangent here. We are all children of God who is the ultimate creator. And there has to be some stardust that's associated with each of us that's associated that that's tied to that creativity whether it's music or using our hands to create something or or speaking or or whatever we we all have different talents and gifts and i i've recognized that each of those talents and gifts that we have or have the potential of working on there's a portion of light connected to that and when we exercise that light, that that talent, that light is able to burst forth and be shared with the world. But we get scared, yeah. and we get, you know, fear is such a huge inhibitor. And I, I recognize that that Satan uses fear every day across the world to hold us back from from sharing our light. Um, and I. Uh, how did I, how did I go from that experience to this? I, there's Mark Twain has a great quote that says, all you need in life is ignorance and confidence, <laughs> then success is sure. And I, I was born with a ample degree <laughs> of maybe, maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, when you're, when you're 20, I, I guess I, I went, I was accepted to BYU-Hawaii, came home from BYU-Hawaii and like, okay, if it's going to work, if this is really what I need to do, I need to jump in with both feet. The Quakers have a, a proverb that says, proceed as way opens. Mm -hmm. So Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And as Christ opens the door for us, we have to be willing to step through it. That way doesn't stay open forever. And, um, but we, those of us that exercise faith in in that respect we we recognize that when we walk through one door another one opens and another one opens and and on down the line and and ways opened you know i came home from by hawaii and a fellow had been um in our, in our ward had been over to visit my parents home they'd moved while i was away um moved into this new ward where i met my wife and i had an opportunity to uh to to meet this guy that had this pottery shop back behind his home and he said you know i built this shop wanting to become a potter i'm never going to be able to do it i i tried hard and then i got married and have a mortgage payment and i had to get a real yeah. job i'd love to see pottery being made here and so he basically tossed me the keys and said oh. if you as long as you pay the gas bill and electric bill you're welcome to work here for as long as you want. And so I worked with the Chamberlains for about two and a half years before I could afford to move out. And I burned down a fence actually with the <laughs> aftermath of a, a firing too. Oh, so, no. oh, wow. so, so yeah, that was kind of like, yeah, you should probably start looking for another place. <laughs>
<laughs> but they were very gracious and kind and uh and you know the way opened and the way continued to open you mentioned that it and i think it's true that fear is what holds a lot of us back uh yeah. from participating in creativity much less sharing it um and there's always detractors like you sort of alluded to as well yeah um i'm curious does it get does it get easier um once you have once you have done something creative and shared it does it get easier over time to continue to do that I think it does. Um, I think there's, you know, confidence builds on confidence, right? And it's it starts with one small victory, and you know, day by day, you know, if you if you stick with it, that that confidence grows as the victories grow, um, and pretty soon you start getting good at something, and and people start to recognize it, and they want a piece of it, and you know, there's there's so many there's so many people that really at least say they want to do something, but don't, you know, mm -hmm. I, when I was signing books at Costco, I, I'm, I'm a writer too. I just finished my 14th book. And, um, uh, when I was signing books at Costco, I couldn't believe how many people would come and say, Oh, I'm going to write a book someday. I'm like, great. How far are you? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, Oh, not, no, I haven't started yet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Well, if you don't start, you don't get anywhere, you know, and it, it takes, it took me 11, almost 12 years to write my first book, just mostly fear. And yeah. I knew how to make a living as a potter, but to, to transfer that into something that was totally unrelated and in a totally different direction uh, was frightening. I, I'm curious if you connect creativity and faith, because it, it does seem like the opposite of both of those is fear. So do you feel like the practice of constantly pushing yourself to do something creative is actually also informing your faith? So let me pull that apart a little bit. So um, I think the biggest opposite of fear is love. Mm. And if we love ourselves and if we love God and if we love the God that is within us, that is a creator in embryo, we will want to manifest that in some way. And um, so for me, yeah, absolutely. Faith is tied to creativity, um, but faith is tied to, to really everything, right? Yeah. And if love is its partner, then you got a winning team, right? If you can move forward with both faith and love, Second you know, Timothy chapter one verse seven: For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and yeah. of love and of a sound mind. So, if that fear is not coming from God, you know it's the dark side that's trying to mm -hmm. snuff out the light that we have to offer. And wow. do you think that that love can actually show up in different ways in in the creative works that you produce? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it has to. If it's real, uh, it has to. I There's a lot of art that's made that uh, this it maybe sounds judgmental. That, uh, there's a lot of dark art that's made that's kind of like disturbed people venting. Mm -hmm. And um, and maybe they need to get that out. Uh, but for me, art is about creating beauty and creating space for God to speak to us and reminding us of where we came from and who we are and how this is all going to play out in the eternities. You know, we, if we truly believe what we say we, we are, that, that we are gods and embryo and that mm -hmm. we'll have the opportunity to create worlds in the future, we got to start practicing now. You know, yeah. <laughs> we, we got something to give right now. Yeah. Um, and, and remembering, I think, who we are is, is a huge part of that creative process for me. Um, there have been so many times where I've been working late at night in the studio and felt like there are other hands here. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that we all participated in some degree in the creation of the world. You know, we were we were either watching or rolling snakes or uh, <laughs> making rocks um, or designing flowers. Um, and that's in there that in our cellular level um, in our, there's some spiritual um, anchor that's, that's there for all of us, but we have to, we have to set aside fear. We have to embrace love 
And we have to move forward with faith, believing that God will lead our hands, direct yeah. our hands. I really love that because that it, it does feel to me like um, creative expression can feel like a form of worship. It feels like mm -hmm. a way of accessing that love in a more tangible way that makes it feel easier to get into alignment with. Yeah. And so I, but it, it does. And it also feels like something that takes practice in the same way that we may practice our, our spiritual selves in some other way. You know, it feels like something we have to do and decide to do and push ourselves to do. And, and you can feel your soul stretching and reaching. And I, but I, I don't feel like we really have a place in the church for prescriptive creativity, which yeah. maybe because that would be, that would be a little ironic, but we do in the in the early days, you know, in primary, yeah, yeah, right? in yeah, the nursery, mm -hmm. we give them we give the kids space and encourage them to color and draw, and somehow that dries up. Those aren't like time fillers; those are maybe like real moments to practice. Yeah, yeah, creativity. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Talk about being um, a leader in the church and how you know. I think we have a lot of business minded people in charge. Yeah. We have a lot of business leaders and lawyers and doctors and and um, not a lot of artists. And so I, I would love to hear how you think bringing your artistic mind to church as a leader could could look different. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Do you feel like you do you feel like you have a different approach? Definitely. Yeah. And and people look at me very strangely sometimes. <laughs> um, I've heard a rumor that you wear a bow tie. I wear a bow tie <laughs> okay. so every maybe, Sunday. Maybe that explains part of it. These, these are the he shoes has I wear flying pigs wow. on his yeah. shoes. <laughs> that is yeah, I mean, I have, I have a six pair of funky shoes from... Uh, but I, I, I believe that there's room for self-expression. And, uh, and so many people get discouraged that they, you know, have to fit some kind of Mormon mold. And, um, I think we need to throw out the molds and, um, you know, we, we spent time in India, we spent time in Africa, we spent time in Europe and, and South America and people come to church in all sorts of colorful costumes and expressing themselves in beautiful, amazing ways. And then, we have the Wasatch Front that is boring, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking about uh, thinking about this question. I have the last all of. I think most of my bishops have been, um, you know, especially growing up, were all attorneys. Mm. <laughs> uh, the last couple of stake presidents have been an attorney, a doctor, an attorney. Okay. Uh, and then there's me, right? <laughs> um, so I, I think that there's, um, <clears throat> there's a need for a different perspective. I think sometimes, um, not all of us fit this mold. It's like, um, it's like forcing art out of schools, you know, schools are, uh, giving up the arts, but somehow they're enabling a handful of athletes they're throwing tons of money at the athletics and but there's only a small handful that gets gets to be blessed by that where art you know all of us can do something artistic uh, and they're cutting all of that so it's it's, it's frustrating they're taking the fun mm -hmm. out of school I'm, I'm worried about that and i i worry about that with the church you know like if we only have doctors and attorneys that are serving we have a very small perspective um, and art is supposed to expand our horizons and open us up to huge possibilities. Uh, and I, I think that there's room for that. And I, I hope that there's room for that. You know, I, when, when people find out that I've been called to be a stake president there, there's a couple of re reactions. They're like, what, what is the church coming to? <laughs> and the other one is, man, I think I'd like to live in your state. Yeah. You know, um, we artists, artists see things different ways. So, well, let me ask, has it become clear to you maybe what your quote unquote calling has yeah. really been in this, in this role as stake president? Um, so we don't have many youth in our stake. We probably only have about, um, about 75 youth in the whole mm -hmm. stake, but I know every one of them by wow. name. And, 
Um, you know, we're, we're getting ready to send some of them on missions now. I, it's been really fun to know them over the years and interact with them. So there's, there's the youth element that I think is probably one of the reasons why I, I was called to serve now. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it all the time about the children of Israel Moses says, let's go into the promised land. And all of them are like a bunch of whiners. <laughs> We're not going. That's That looks too hard. You know, the land of milk and honey is filled with ferocious people. And so they had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years uh, before they could move forward. And in the end, it took, you know, fiery serpents. All these people had to do was look to God and live or the symbol of, of Jesus Christ and live. And they refused. And, um, and I think we're, we're in a place in the church. Sometimes I feel like we're, we're in this place where we're transitioning from the old guard to a new guard. And hopefully that new guard will put us into the promised land, um, will enable us to cross over the river and, um, and see the, the blessings that we all have been waiting for. Um, and we can't, we have to, we have to pay homage to all of the old and all of the foundation that we've been given by these last six generations that have helped mm-hmm. us to get to this point. But it's not the old thinking that's going to get us all there. It's, uh, you know, and for as old as President Nelson is, he's got some really young thoughts and some really, I mean, he's staying fresh. And, uh, and, and I'm sure there will be lots of people that will argue with me that how could a 99-year-old guy, <laughs> you know, be, be, have fresh thoughts? But he absolutely does. And it's really inspiring for me to see, like, okay, he gets this. He knows where we're going. And are we in or out? Are we going to look to God and live? Or are we going to be bitten by the fiery serpents? Yeah. So. I love that. because I And I think you know, on a really micro level in a, in a church meeting on Sunday, that's maybe the tension that everybody in the room can sense that there's this tradition that was healthy and helpful and, and it's easy to just keep doing what you've always been doing. And then, and then maybe there's kind of this invitation that people are sensing that we could try something new. Right. And maybe there are things that aren't working right now. And, and so it feels like having more perspectives in that room and, and some creative brains in that room can be really helpful right this minute. Right. But it is kind of uncomfortable to be the one that's like, what if we, well, I don't know what, like, what if we did something you know, really crazy? So like, right. talk about what that actually looks like for you yeah. in, a, in a meeting. So we, um, we have a very unique stake. Uh, we're right downtown. It's the Salt Lake Central stake. Um, we, we are happy when people show up, no matter what. We've got homeless mm-hmm. people sitting next to millionaires. We've got uh, gay folks that come in uh, and they, they receive callings. Uh, we put them to work uh, on the on the activities committee and, uh, you know, encourage them to be part and, and love us. And we love them. And um, we they they show up. We're, we're ready to embrace them. I don't care what you're wearing. You know, we have lots of women wearing pants. Great. Come, you know, like it doesn't matter what you wear. It matters what's in your heart. And uh, so I think. My my first uh, my first hope when I was called was that I would not screw anything up, you know, the, <laughs> do no harm, yeah. you know, because there there's a lot of really good things that have been happening. We we stayed where we were because of the diversity um, and the the beauty that's there, and we've encouraged people to move downtown or to stay downtown if they get their start there. So many people get their start and then move to the suburbs. And they all say to a person, man, I sure miss the downtown area and the experience that I had there. And man, I'm really missing out on, you know, feeling the connection with my brother and sister and those crazy testimony meetings and (laughs) all the fun that we have in the Salt Lake Central Stake. It's, it's, um, I, I remember one time when I was bishop, 
looking out at the congregation and realizing there was about 40% of the people that were there had been inactive for multiple years and were back because they wow. knew they needed to be there. And the atonement is real in downtown Salt Lake. It has to be. You know, we have drug addicts. We have lots of people that have been incarcerated. Uh, the other side academy is within our state oh, boundaries. Really? Um, we have other several other um, halfway houses and uh, and um, drug rehabilitation places that we get people out to, you know, that come to church. Um, and it's it's alive. You know, the atonement is live and well there. We just, we keep losing people to the suburbs and mm. it's really sad to see it. You know, we are selling off chapels in our stake and, uh, and they can't build chapels fast enough in, yeah. in the south end of the valley. And uh, so we're, we're hoping to curb that maybe. Yeah. yeah. So for listeners maybe that are in leadership callings, and it doesn't have to be bishop or state president necessarily, but that are wanting to apply more creativity or sort of like out of the box thinking, um, I'm curious if you have any advice. And especially as it come, pertains to like, I don't know, there can be this like forgiveness for, versus permission type of idea or like, you know, <laughs> if it's not explicitly it, uh, forbidden, then it's then it's a go ahead or versus another perspective, which is if it's not explicitly stated, then don't do it. It's forbidden. Yeah. 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 So there's a couple of things that come right to mind. Uh, I, I went to a, a training meeting with. Uh, I'll just say it's a, a general authority, a member of the 12, and he called the handbook a collection of all our failings or all of our mistakes <laughs> and um and i and i um i i can respect that like we we need we need a guardrail but the handbook does not need to come back come out all the time i when i was called to be bishop i had been serving for two years as a counselor to a, the the previous bishop and as I, as he walked out the door, he said, uh, you know where the handbook is? It's, I think it's in the bottom drawer <laughs> underneath the phone books. And he's like, you know how many times we've looked at it twice in two years. Uh, consider that like, you know, follow, follow your heart. And there's not enough people that are following their hearts. There's not enough people that are leading with love. And if we can do more of that, I think we're going to save this generation we're going to invite the old generation to recognize that we're not all crazy and everybody's going to feel edified when they leave church. Um, they're going to want to be there. And that's really what's happening. I mean, we, we very rarely have end our meeting and everybody leaves like people stay and they huddle and they, you know, they, they just love on each other and that's what we want to see. Right. Um, so my advice to any other leader that's struggling to, to discover where, you know, how to bring more creativity, one, listen to your women, like the women need to be heard, like invite them to sit at the table and not just invite them to sit there, but invite them to fully participate. Our state um, council meetings are so fun. Um, we have, we actually considered for a time calling the three women that sit at the table every week. We considered calling them to the high council, but we, <laughs> we, we won't push it that far. Yeah. Um, but but we give them. But you have three women at yeah you have every, women at the table every yeah. every every time we meet. And um, my wife is actually still the young stake and women's president. When we she had only been serving for a few months when I was called, and she's like, "I'm not ready to be released." And we're like, "Okay, well, you know, the kids are. <laughs> right, and it's not going to be too taxing on our family. Let's just let's yeah. just keep her here." And um, our stake release society president is super strong, and same with the primary president. Just we absolutely have to have their voices at that table, and they are making huge contributions. Um, so um, I think it's really al also super duper important, <laughs> super duper, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that we, um, we recognize that though one person holds the keys in a stake or, you know, a bishop holds the keys, he is not the sole receiver of inspiration and direction. And if, if ever he thinks that, if ever he makes calls that he's, probably going to be practicing unrighteous dominion. Um, there's a, a great distribution of inspiration.
for all those who are interested in receiving it. And the more you can bring that out and start talking about it and inspiring people to share it, share their feelings uh, uh, and contributing their inspiration. We, you know, it's like sitting down with a, with a box of a huge table full of Legos and erector sets and, you know, all you can build something if you've got all these pieces, but if you only have, you know, the, the pencil that's in your pocket, you're going to have a pretty lame story. Yeah. So. Wow. Oh my gosh. I just love that. Any others? Like <laughs> big things that come to mind for leaders because I want to ask way you about members. The box. Like, don't okay. be afraid of thinking outside the box. Don't be afraid of inviting. Uh, we we had so um, we our stake adopted uh, a, a charity. The the um, it's uh, it's it's a great great group. Um, they feed the homeless every Sunday. It's uh, called Fill the Pot. And uh, Reverend Ragsdale and his his wife uh, Tony, amazing people. I got to know them during COVID uh, with the, our Protopians United group, and um, and invited them to come and speak at state conference. And not you wow. know not members of the church, knocked it out of the park. I mean, everybody was both laughing and crying as they listened to them. We gave them, I think we gave them combined like forty minutes to talk to talk and. You know, if there's anything virtuous, lovely, a good reporter, praiseworthy, we seek after these things. We should not be afraid of inviting other people to join us and to like let we'll add to them, let, invite them to add to us. And, you know, we're all going to be lifted if we do this. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Do you think do you yeah. do anything interesting with music? In your state. Yeah, yeah. So I literally don't know. This is I'm yeah, yeah. shot in the dark. No, we lots of lots of great things. Um, so uh, we we have. Um, so my my counselor Randy Shumway um, is a, a member of his ward when he was bishop. Uh, yeah, we know Randy a little Luke, bit. He's awesome, the, right? Yeah. Luke Luke's choir, uh, the fellow that uh, conducts the Luke's choir, um, used to live in his ward. A gay member of the I don't know if he's actually still a member of the church, but you know, a gay member of the community that we love, and uh, and we've invited them to come both into our building and the last time it was you know we needed to expand so we had it down at the at the assembly hall in temple square that's actually where we have our state conferences so we have a great oh so God. if you had a, the assembly hall that that implies some doesn't that some like larger church uh go ahead yeah yeah it seems to be uh, it's it's definitely that the luke's choir is um that's l-u-x l-u-x yeah. right it means light in latin um and uh so it's um it's a non-denominational uh multiple members are um homosexual you know like it's we have uh trans women singing and trans men singing it's their choir uh, but we are absolutely happy to to uh bring them in and uh and, and and help them feel like they belong they have you know a place to to be that's amazing so but okay. lots of other music too yeah so. amazing i know we probably we need to wrap up but i know that there are people who are listening who are feeling this sense of envy i think maybe <laughs> for the, the like the, you're painting this picture that just sounds so edifying come and, to zion yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's your invitation. but right. what do you say to somebody who's not in the leadership position <laughs> who shows up on a Sunday and, and is just so hungry for an experience like what you're, you're talking about. What can, what can a regular member of the church do to create space like this? I mean, absolutely. The, the leadership kind of sets the tone for a ward and a stake. Um, and we decided really early on that we wanted to create the most loving, accepting, inviting stake and wards in the church. And, um, you know, you have to have a lot of people with open hearts and with a desire to embrace in order to, to get that. Um, it starts with one yeah. and it starts with, you know, a, a repetitive every, every week. It, I wish that all people decided that they were ward greeters, <laughs> you know, yeah. inviting people if they don't know them or new people or people walking in off the street, like that's the number one, like make yeah. them feel welcome and help and not just 
welcome them at the door, invite them to come and sit next to you and invite them to dinner afterwards. Or if not dinner, you know, have pancakes or bake some bread and invite, invite people in. We need to connect. And especially post-COVID, the connections have been so rough, right? I mean, we've lost so much of that. And uh, Mother Teresa said, if we have no peace, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. We have forgotten that we belong to each other and we need each other. And, um, you know, inviting people into our homes. We have linger longers. Almost every ward has at least one linger longer uh, a week, excuse me, a month, and and some many more than that. At whenever we have a, a reason, an excuse to to get together, like do it, just make it happen. Don't don't wait to be asked. Don't mm-hmm. wait to receive an assignment or a calling. Like you you already have a calling. Your calling is to love. There's only one calling in the church, and that's to love. And if we remember that, life is much better. Like the bishop's calling the, you know, to the, to the nursery leader, we all up and down the line, it's to love. And when we, we get into trouble, when we forget that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. It's so, it's so inspiring to hear a vision articulated. Cause I think <laughs> it, it just reminds you that though. Yeah. Like I have a sphere of influence in my word and like, I can do this in my, Absolutely. in my way. And it just, that's how it starts. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, maybe I can just ask you. Really quick, as we wrap up, um, you've, I, I love the sentiment that you've expressed of just like so much respect and gratitude for all people of faith, faith traditions, and people of not faith and not faith traditions, sure. you know? Um, what do you find uh, uniquely good about, about our tradition? What are the gifts do you, do you, that you think we have to take to the world? Uh, you know, I spent um, a year and a half going to uh, funerals, the funerals of strangers in pre- preparation for writing a book. And so uh, I, uh, it's called Borrowing Fire, and it's about a young man that goes searching for the answers to life's big questions at the funerals of strangers. Wow. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I wanted to see every religion. I wanted to see no religion. I wanted to see, you know, at the end when we boil a life down to an hour, what does that look like? And what do we have to offer that some other churches or other faith traditions or no faith tradition, what do we have to offer? And we have a lot of hope to offer. I I came, every time I went to a funeral that was outside of the church, I came away thinking, I wanna die Mormon. We have answers, we have hope. Um, there is a lot of hopelessness, you know, uh, that's being preached, uh, from the, from the pulpits of churches and, um, so much sadness. And it's so great to be able to go to a funeral and to laugh and cry even for, fu- for, for strangers, mm. you know, st- funerals for strangers. I, um, there's something so uplifting about knowing that there is a plan uh, of happiness and that our heavenly parents put this into motion um, for us to find joy. And we have joy to find every day. Let's find the joy every day. Um, let's love people so that the joy spills out of us and that everybody feels like they're a part of this great, happy story that heavenly, our heavenly parents put into motion. Yeah, that's such a great place to end. Thank you so much. This has been really inspiring. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate you inviting me to come, of course. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Ben B. Hunnan. Again, if you'd like to find out more about his work, you can go to potterboy.com. Ben also runs a really cool Instagram account that shares stories and opportunities of meaningful service in the Salt Lake City area. It's on Instagram at Protopians United if you want to check it out. And as always, if Faith Matters content is resonating with you and you get the chance, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen on. We read all of the reviews, and it really does help us to get the word out about Faith Matters, and we appreciate the support. Thanks again for listening, and as always, you can check out more at faithmatters.org.